Hello and welcome to VR Download. This is my second time appearing. So for those of you who are, don't recognise me, my name's Henry and I'm one of uh, Upload VR's staff writers. I'm filling in for Ian today because he's currently at GDC. Hello. We're first going to talk about PlayStation VR 2's cinema mode sort of working on PC with an important caveat there, only certain PCs. Uh, then Henry will talk about Pixel Ripped 1978, the game that was just announced. And finally, we will talk about HTC's announcement of the self-tracking Vive Tracker. So that's a very interesting new hardware announcement that's just out yesterday. Everyone's been wanting PSVR 2 on PC for ages, and it's not maybe not quite what everyone wanted, but we're slowly getting there. Yeah, so I'm just noticing we have a new member in the chat, John Mayo. Thank you for becoming a member. Yeah, so... Me and Ian on this show have usually debated about PlayStation VR 2 coming to PC almost every week. And now, if you haven't been caught up with the news, it kind of is on PC with a a few major, major caveats. So if you have a GPU that has a virtual link port, you can connect your PlayStation VR 2 to your PC and it will run in cinema mode. So you will, by that, if you're not familiar with PlayStation VR 2, cinema mode is where you see a virtual screen in front of you, just a two-dimensional virtual monitor that you can play regular non-VR games on. And that's something that works on, on PC. Now, the important caveat there is that positional tracking does not work. It is purely rotational tracking. So you rotate your head, you look up and down, and the screen will stay in place. But if you tilt from side to side, the screen will actually appear as if it's attached to your head. So this sort of, if you used mobile phone VR back in the days when you slotted your phone into a headset or you used Oculus Go, you'll know what that feels like and it's not particularly comfortable. Not the end of the world when it comes to something like cinema mode, but still uh, not exactly an ideal experience. And obviously, you know, this opens up the, the further question of does that mean that there is now a path to getting PlayStation VR 2 working on PC in the proper VR mode. And so the developer of the tool that allows the original PlayStation VR to work on PC had a few things to say about that. They are essentially kind of pessimistic on this happening anytime in the short term. They say, you know, they do expect that perhaps in the short term you'll be able to use it with uh, lighthouse trackers and index controllers. So, you know, you, you strap a tracker onto the top of the psvr2 headset you get index controllers and base stations and so the headset never has to do its own tracking and you know even that is going to be a challenge though because they still have to figure out how do you get that to go from just showing a virtual cinema display in front of you to actually showing the raw vr output uh you know with correct lens distortion with correct stereo disparity all of those things that are going to be an interesting challenge so you know it really depends on how well they're able to decode the kind of USB signals that PlayStation VR 2 expects when it comes to sending its own camera data to the PC. Uh, you, if, if you want to actually, if your ideal goal is that you'll be able to plug this into a PC and use it with its own inside-out tracking, that means that someone will need to either write their own inside-out tracking software for both the headsets, positional tracking, and the controllers, infrared LED constellation tracking along that orb on the controller or they'll need to use one of the existing open source libraries and kind of repurpose it there are just so many unknowns here that you know i just want to be crystal clear that this is not going to happen anytime soon and the most i would hope for in any sort of term that is 
anything more than years is just getting the headset working with lighthouse trackers. So am I right in thinking as well that it took roughly, I want to say, two years for P- for um, the original uh, PSVR to get supported on PC? Is that, is that, have I got that right, sir? Yes, and from a tracking perspective, it was a lot easier because it was essentially just using a webcam to track those light blobs. You know, tracking blobs of light on a webcam is a lot easier a problem than doing uh, markerless inside-out tracking in arbitrary rooms. You know, it's just with the cameras that are built onto the headset and then obviously controller tracking at the same time. So the, the, the optimist may say that you may notice that a few weeks ago we talked about the fact that there is an open-source Linux project that does inside-out tracking on headsets like the Valve Index that, that don't actually have their own inside-out tracking. But, you know, that is not something that they have any announced plans to bring to Windows, and it's not something they've done for controllers. So, you know, there it, it's a lot of... A lot of things have to happen to ever really get PlayStation VR 2 working on PC. And then that doesn't even include the unique features, things like foveated rendering and eye tracking, accessing that and doing the eye tracking on PC. That would be a completely different ballgame at all. So if you are if you want to buy a PlayStation VR 2, buy it with the idea that you will be using it with your PlayStation 5, not your PC. There's a lot of technical hurdles, and while I think that those will be, we'll get to a point where those can be overcome. Uh, I just, yeah, like you say, it's not going to happen for a while. Uh, enjoy what's already out there with like Horizon and Gran Turismo. Don't be, don't go waiting on this just yet. Yeah, it's uh, it's obviously you know, for some people this is very frustrating because some people are you know OLED purists. Some people out there will say I only want a VR headset with an OLED display. And while, yes, there are some micro OLED displays coming out, like the big screen Beyond and the Megan X from Shiftall, those, because of the kind of size of those displays and the, the lenses that are used for them, they don't provide the same wide field of view as a PlayStation VR 2. So I understand why people want that. Uh, but yeah, it's it's something that's just not going to happen in the near term. The, the obvious other the question we should point out, what Ian would say here is, Ian would always argue that maybe Sony will do it officially themselves, and so we won't have to worry about these modding issues. But, you, you know, to what I would usually say to Ian in those contexts is that it doesn't make strategic sense for Sony, because at the end of the day, the PlayStation VR 2 is a value add to the PlayStation 5. It's for Sony, they see it as a reason to buy a PlayStation 5 over an Xbox Series X, because if you buy a Series X, you can never, as far as anyone knows, upgrade to high-end VR. Whereas if you buy a PlayStation 5, even if you're not interested in high-end VR right now, even if you're someone that says, you know what, I don't like the games yet, there's not enough games on PlayStation 5, it means that you have the capability one year, two year, three years down the line to fork out you know, 550 or whatever it's gone down to by then to jump into high-end VR. It's just, that's, from my perspective, pretty obviously the reason that Sony developed something like this. Yeah, no, I completely agree because um, you've seen even with like just releasing games on like um, PC. I mean, they're, they're definitely getting better. They're definitely putting out a lot more than they used to. Uh, um, but it's still like months later. Like, never mind. That's just software. Never mind full on hardware of this scale. Uh, it just doesn't make sense <laughs> with Xbox. I mean, like Microsoft, they've obviously got the vested interest in PC. Of course, they do. Uh, um, by comparison, so why would Sony be jumping in on that? Uh, why would they? Why would they want that? 
Yeah, and you know, when it comes to releasing games on Steam, for example, there's you know, there's this massive proven market of people who will go and buy it. Sony are you know making money back from those games that don't really matter in the grand scheme of things when you know the, the exclusivity they care about is on console. But if Sony were to do this on PC, it would not only be a strategic issue, it would also be a massive technical hurdle because you then have to support all of these different PC configurations for VR. And as Oculus and HTC and Valve find out, that can be a bit of a nightmare. And obviously, you know, there is this issue that we've been talking about that this only works through virtual links. So that means, you know, the latest GPUs don't even have a virtual link port. So Sony would have to sell an adapter or endorse an official adapter, and then they would have to support anyone who that's not working for. Uh, you know, it just it's it would be a pretty huge hurdle. And you know, to be clear, there are virtual link adapters you can get that you can plug it into a modern GPU. The problem is they cost something like $150 at absolute minimum. So you're adding on even more uh, cost here. And yeah, I guess it's a shame that PC went away from virtual link. If anyone isn't aware what virtual link is, it was a port that all of the VR headset manufacturers and NVIDIA and AMD signed up to. And the idea was it used this a single USB-C connector that you could plug your PC VR headset into a PC without having to use separate USB ports, you know, that the sensor data goes through and then attached to a display port or HDMI. The idea was to give a single USB port that would guarantee the USB bandwidth for it. And uh, it essentially the idea evaporated. It's used by some high-end headsets, uh, like, like as Roar McRip helmet in the comments is pointed out. Xtal used it. A few other the really high-end industry headsets used it. But... As Facebook shifted their focus onto standalone headsets and uh, Valve, for some reason, canceled their virtual link adapter for Index, like very soon after the launch of Index, it just kind of uh, evaporated as there was no one making native PC headsets. Yeah, obviously important to look at that. Um, Shall we move on to uh, Pixel Ripped then? Yeah, so this is something you know I don't know much about. I played the previous two games and I really enjoyed them, but I haven't looked into 1978. What does it look like? Well, pretty, it's looking pretty damn good. Um, I, I think this is the first uh, game specifically that Atari have published in VR, if I remember right. And you're playing as a uh, game designer in their offices in, well, 1978. So, and the goal of this is they're saying that you're attempting to um, you're going between these different games, like a game within a game. Uh, and I th- believe they said that you were debugging them, essentially taking down this villain who uh, wants to become the protagonist. Uh, all very cheesy sort of stuff. But from what I've seen, it's looking pretty good. It's looking like a, a major nostalgia trip. Uh, yeah, that's. Have you had a chance to play the previous two games yet? Yes, I have. Um, not for a good while, though. So uh, memory's a bit hazy at this point. But yeah, no, I remember enjoying them. Nostalgia trip is really the right term for it. It's really incredible how much they can put you in that era. It really is a kind of testament to what VR can do in terms of immersing you in a completely different type of world. You know, I think. In general, playing emulated games as if you're actually sitting in front of the old-time hardware is something that VR has a one of VR's real strengths. Uh, some of the VR chat worlds that allow you to sit in kind of an old-style arcade are just incredible. Even you know Gear VR back in the day, Samsung Gear VR had this Oculus arcade that you could play some of the Sega games. And I, you know, I've always thought that it, 
I really hope that in the coming years, either Sega or Atari build out a, an official kind of virtual arcade that you can drop in and play these games in, in a VR arcade multiplayer with your friends without having to go through, obviously, you know, uh, slightly janky unlicensed versions in VR chat or today where, you know, there are some apps that let you do this in single player. It does seem like a completely untapped idea, but obviously this is the start of, you know, Atari bringing something to VR and Pixel Rip makes perfect sense. Yeah, absolutely, it does. Uh, and I know we've seen similar things like along those sort of lines. Was it MUVR, um, where you had them creating, um, like you know, they basically made your bedroom uh, um, in virtual reality. Like you could play like light gun games, pick up a you know a, like a Ned Zapper sort of thing, and then play like Duck Hunt, if I remember right. Is like see more stuff like that would be fantastic, especially from official publishers. Yeah, MUVR is one of the real gems of virtual reality. I think, like, if anyone isn't familiar with it, Henry's pretty much described it there, where you have, you're sitting in a room, and it is multiplayer, and you can use all of these emulated old games, like on a PlayStation 1, or uh, I can't remember off the top of my head, I think Nintendo 64 and, and GameCube and consoles like that. Uh, and the, the idea, the, it's just the multiplayer aspect of it. Is just incredible that you can actually sit down and play split screen as if you know you're back in that era and it's such a shame that we haven't seen that come from official sources yet because obviously the licensing issues are quite complicated and how do you decide how does two people how do how do you handle the fact that maybe only one person owns the game does that mean that another person can drop in and play it with them but i really hope that does get sorted out and as companies like atari and sega look for uh, new markets and to to utilize all of this incredibly valuable intellectual property they have with all of these old games it just seems like a perfect fit though you know maybe vr has to get a little bit bigger for that to be commercially viable for them i think you're right there because at the moment yeah it's, it's 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 difficult enough as we've seen to try and get big publishers to invest in virtual reality like obviously sony is the big exception uh, We've seen Valve going off it with obviously the Index and Half-Life Alex, and then Capcom as well. But uh, I mean, like we haven't seen anything from Bethesda for a good few years, uh, and they had all their previous VR ports. Uh, so I hope uh, this would inspire that sort of um, action from said publishers. Yeah, we've re- yeah, you're right. We have seen very little from the big ones. You know, Ubisoft was in for a while with quite a few experimental games for some of their smaller studios. You can kind of say EA did with Star Wars Squadrons, kind of dip their foot in. You know, those are all still sort of, well, in that case, it's an existing game where they give support. But yeah, as we always say on this podcast, it is just a matter of there need to be more VR headsets for it to be something that companies want to commercially target. And that's why, you know, personally, I always get more excited by the idea of kind of low cost headsets for the masses than the expensive headsets that a few people can afford. Although, you know, I think it's great when expensive headsets push the tech forward and deliver something new. That's not what makes a big publisher decide to spend tens of millions of dollars on a, a massive VR game of the type that people really want. It's seeing a headset sell tens of millions of units that make them to start to do that. No, I agree. And I think with, um, I'm right in thinking, was it 20 million that uh, they said uh, the Quest 2 had sold in that leaked pr- uh, roadmap? Uh? Well, that was for Quest 1, Quest 2, and Quest oh, Pro, but, but realistically, right. Quest 2 was probably the vast majority of that, probably something like 17 or 18 million. Sure, and I think, if I remember right, that was more than what the Xbox series has sold in the same sort of time currently. It, so It's it's just about the same, yeah. The Xbox series has sold about 20 million, though you, know, you have to say there that most developers still aren't building native titles for 
series, you know, the exclusives, they are still, we're still very much so in the cross-generational era where all of these big games that we talk about are still releasing for the previous generation, Xbox One and PlayStation 4 and PS5. I, I haven't, you know, I'm not a huge console gamer, but I don't believe there are many new gen exclusive titles that aren't from Microsoft or Sony. Uh, with Sony, there's been a few, um, not too many, but there has been a few. Whereas yeah, Microsoft, the, um, yeah, I'm saying there are from yeah. the console makers, but I'm saying from independent developers separately. Oh, sure, sure. No, sorry, I was going to say like even with Microsoft, we've barely seen it at the moment. But yes, no, you're right. Um, a lot of them are still. I mean, it didn't help with the the stock shortages with you know the semiconductor shortage. So a lot of them were playing it safe. <laughs> Like, if that hadn't happened, I don't think we would have seen things like God of War Ragnarok on PS4 still. But yeah, yeah. it's convincing them to take that leap. Though it doesn't help either when you've got essentially five-year development cycles for a lot of big AAA games these days. So they're going to be, that work's going to be going into it for years for those older platforms too. Yeah, and the, you know that development cycle is pretty similar for VR. I think a lot of people are always kind of complaining, where are the, the big VR games we're looking for? But you know, the, the original Oculus Quest only came out less than four years ago. And that's, you know, when it just came out. So developers wouldn't need to have time to say, to see it sell well, say, this is something we should build a game for, fund it, and then start it. So realistically, you know, the, the big games that we're talking about have been in development for maybe two, three years, and we should start to see them over the next few years. But yeah, the, the point I was just making with that cross-generational thing is that 20 million is, is, is great for VR, but it's still not big enough to get these big publishers really interested in building native content we need to see you know 50 million and and 100 million that's the kind of scale that those developers want to see well fingers crossed and we get that extra jump with the quest for a year yeah and perhaps it'll be you know from the signs of it from that leak that we discussed a few weeks ago uh it looks like perhaps the quest 3 will be a little bit more expensive than quest 2 but then we have that mysterious headset coming next year that's supposed to be you know cheap and affordable so maybe that'll be what it takes to really get an install base big enough for the kind of games that we hope for maybe so uh, too many unknowns at the moment but i guess time will tell uh, yeah it's a slow and steady progression but yeah well it'll have to be interesting to see it when that point kind of crosses and how sure. playstation vr2 factors into that okay so, so um i guess we're going on to um the htc new trackers then uh, yeah so this is obviously the biggest hardware tech news of the week so HTC has announced, or, or tease is probably a better word because they've only given a very vague release date and no pricing, a self-tracking Vive tracker. So it will release in quarter three of this year and there's no price yet, but it is OpenXR compatible, does not require base stations, will work with any headset theoretically as long as someone writes the software to interface with it. So you know, if you're not familiar with what the Vive trackers are, they are these uh, pucks that are used with Steam VR tracking base stations to track arbitrary virtual objects. That's what businesses use it mostly for, but in the consumer space, it's used mostly for full body tracking. So you strap three or five of these things onto, you know, your elbows, your legs, your feet, your torso, and in VR chat, which is the primary use case in the consumer space, you then have body tracking. It's not a particularly elegant way to do body tracking because you're you're charging all of these devices separately and strapping them to yourself. And it's not a particularly cheap or efficient way to do it because base stations cost, well, they start at $135 each and you'll need 
either two or four of them, depending on the kind of fidelity of tracking you're looking for, uh, robustness, I should really say, to occlusion. And then obviously these are 135, uh, sorry, 130 each. So you're talking for full body tracking well north of $500. You're talking close to $1,000. The interesting potential here with this new tracker is that it doesn't require base stations. It has two high field of view cameras uh, facing outwards on each of those sides and an onboard processor to do the tracking on board. And that may sound familiar to you if you have read or seen anything about Quest Pro, because that's essentially what Quest Pro's controllers do. This is, in a funny way, essentially a Quest Pro controller, but without the buttons, sticks, triggers, and haptics, just a small little puck that tracks itself. The real, real big open question for me here that really changes how significant this is, this could be really, really significant, or it could be almost irrelevant. And maybe that's controversial to say, but it's going to be the price. So if it ends up that this thing is a very similar price to the current Vive trackers, then that takes $300 off the price of full body tracking because you no longer need those base stations. If it ends up that this is so much more expensive that when you get five of these or three of these, it actually eats into the same cost of base stations, it's not really a big game changer. All that it does is kind of, you know, make it more convenient to set up full body tracking. You no longer need to put those base stations up on the corners of your wall and plug them into power sockets individually. But it's still, you know, the same cost and you're still charging and strapping five pucks to your body. So I really, really want to know what the price of this thing is. That's the big question for me. Like you can have the best technology in the world, but if it's too expensive for even like your more, um, should we say, dedicated VR users, it's not going to mean anything. Uh, it's just yeah, going to fall to the wayside. Yeah, exactly. The people who want to spend, you know, 500 to 1000 to get full body tracking will already do it with the current trackers and base stations. So for this to, to open up that market to more people, to get more body tracking for more people, that you need to get down to you know, a couple of hundred dollars at most for the entire setup. I, there is one advantage maybe I'm not really talking about here is that you don't need to have a PC. This could theoretically work standalone. You know, as long as you have the dongle attached directly to the USB port of your, uh, say, Vive Focus Elite headset or Quest, as long as there's some way that the software can interface with that, uh, there are already accessories that interface with Quest over the USB port, or even if there, there was someone that could make like a, a, a dongle to, to Bluetooth adapter, you would then have these kind of devices fully self-tracked. But again, it's just a massive, massive open question here is what is the price going to be? I say we don't even have a name for it yet. Have I got that right, sir? Well, they, they do seem to have called it just self-tracking tracker. So, you know, the, okay. the, the previous one, is Vive Tracker 3.0. Uh, although I should note very importantly that this is actually not replacing the Vive Tracker 3.0. This will still be kept around as, a, as an option, and then this one will be sold alongside it. And the reason for that is presumably because there are advantages to Lighthouse tracking in that inside-out track, tracking, be it on a headset like a Quest 2 or controllers like a Quest Pro or in a puck like this, doesn't work well in low light so if you don't have a, a well-lit room it doesn't work well in a room with low contrast features and what i mean by that is if you were in a room with blank white walls and blank white ceiling and blank blank white floor inside eye tracking wouldn't really work and i do include quest pro quest 2 you have they they work by noticing 
unique high contrast features in your room and then watching how those change as your headset rotates and accelerates, which it knows from the internal accelerometer and gyroscope. That entire process will not work if there are no high contrast features to see. If everything looks the same, it doesn't know where it is relative to anything else. So there are going to be kind of industrial use cases where you know this needs to be done in the dark or in a plain room, and that's where you want this. Uh, there will also just be compatibility with you know PC applications that were written with the you know SDK for this and you know this is obviously using then the OpenXR API so you know it, it makes sense for HTC to continue to sell these two products as they're going to have slight advantages but I would imagine you know over time if for consumers at least this as long as there's nothing completely wrong with the product as long as it does work as advertised I'd say this is probably going to be the most the more popular option because obviously if you look at the size that's going to be something that's easier to strap to your body if you no longer have those base stations then you can you know move your PC to another room if you need to uh, you can theoretically use it on Quest 2 standalone but yeah it'll be it'll be fascinating to see how this really turns out as a product offering yeah, completely agreed. I'm looking forward to seeing the practical applications for it because I've only ever tried uh, full body tracking once for like an arcade VR experience. So I'm very, very curious to see how this how this progresses from here. And was that using Vive trackers you had to strap on to yourself? Yes, that's right. So, yeah, um, it was some zombie shooting game. I can't remember the name of it. It was a while ago, but uh, yeah. Uh, yes, yeah, so let's look into the comments here. There's some people are, you know, wagering that they'll be around the same price uh 120 or 130 some people saying 150 we've got the pessimistic guess here from d1360 vr saying 300 each uh that would be quite a shock and then we have the optimistic guess from or sorry optimistic hope from gareth bc saying they hope 80 dollars per tracker at 80 dollars per tracker this would be that would be a complete game changer i think that would actually you know mean that you can get at least three point body tracking for around 240 which you know is something that uh it's, uh a lot of people would be kind of interested in uh yeah i still think you know just to put this into larger context i still don't think this is the kind of body tracking that's going to bring body tracking mainstream to vr we need to see something that doesn't involve strapping things to yourself for first that's the you know the first principle and something that doesn't require many many devices it needs to be two devices at most i think what we'll probably see deliver high quality body tracking first is something that is essentially two base stations that instead of having laser sweeps in them uh sorry uh, laser emitters and motors in them have a simple camera in them. So you have two cameras you put in the corner of your room and they use machine learning, you know, the state of the art computer vision to track your position. And, you know, that's something that if you imagine dedicated hardware that's, that's made at scale and uses some sort of uh, optimized low power machine learning chip, maybe that can arrive for something like 150 or $200 for the pair. Uh, that's something we haven't seen arrive yet obviously you know there was connect which relied on doing this very much so in hardware where with depth sensors that would you know project a pattern onto your body and have a look at uh, how uh, the actual depth comes back to, to track your body but what needs to happen if we want this to be at consumer cost is it needs to be 2d cameras just the same kind of camera that you would see in a smartphone or on a vr headset even and 
just do everything with machine learning. And there's so much research on this. There's so much research that shows that this is possible. But the caveat in all that research is that it's running on a, you know, $3,000 GPU uh, at 15 frames per second. But what we do see happening in state-of-the-art machine learning is that what was possible two years ago on a $3,000 GPU becomes possible a few years later on a smartphone chip. And that's, you know, what I expect to happen, that these would each have a, a Qualcomm Snapdragon processor in them in the same way the Touch Pro controllers do. At the end of the day, if these need to be if these are going to be successful, they have to there has to be as few steps as possible for the average consumer um, in order to, you know, make it work. Like yeah. it's one of the best advantages of like Quest compared to say that traditional PC VR, like you just put on the headset go, like things like that. If they can capture that beautiful yeah exactly it's cost and convenience because you know for for most people even strapping on a vr headset and controllers is a big friction point so the idea of then also strapping on five body trackers that you have to make sure each one of them is fully charged is just not viable and i understand there are enthusiasts that will happily do that and great and it's fantastic to see them in vr chat with full body tracking great you know, hopefully what this does is make that a little bit cheaper so more people can do it, but it's still not going to get to a, a larger scale until it gets uh, much cheaper and much more convenient. Jack B, to answer your question, yes, Ian is at GDC. Uh, some people are pointing out that there are some apps for iPhone that already do this. Uh, yeah, I think that that's great, but the problem is the single perspective is the limiting factor there because it means that you turn around and it can't see what your feet are doing from the other direction because your body's in the way, you're still going to need two perspectives. So if what, what we need is some sort of software that you can put two iPhones, one in each corner of the room, or maybe your iPhone and your iPad, or an iPhone and an Android phone, et cetera, et cetera, and then have that fused together. It's the, really the fusion that matters there to get this to be high quality. In the longer term, we need to see something that fuses cameras that are on the headset facing down, cameras on the controllers and the base of the controller, the handle facing towards you, and perhaps external cameras all together. I am optimistic that cameras in the headset facing down and cameras in the controller handles facing towards you will work. But the problem is then what happens when you're using controller free hand tracking? Do you give up body tracking? It needs to be a solution that is robust for all of these use cases and robust for all body types, because you could theoretically do all of this with just downwards facing cameras on a headset. But the problem is some people's body shape is just not going to be suitable for that. Their their torso is going to occlude their legs in most situations. No, completely. And if you start, if you only, if it only works for a set group of people, you've lost it. Yeah, but it's, you know, it's important to note, obviously, that body tracking in VR would open up so many possibilities for developers. It Mm. would, the, the, um, the things that are done right now in VR are very much so limited by this understanding that everyone has head and hands, but there are the, what developers have been able to do with head and hands, I think is incredible. There are so many ideas that if you had a proposed a VR system with head and hand tracking, people would not have come up with. But there are still so many limits. You know, some of the most popular sport in the world, for example, uh, some people call football, some people call soccer. You can't do that in any sense. 
Uh, sure. You can't do much of dancing. Even you know a lot of the dancing techni- games that are done today are just kind of every based around moving your arms without moving your whole body. You obviously yes lose that social expression of having full body tracking. There's plenty of workout and fitness ideas that are simply not possible with current tracking. So I I really hope we do get to see a day where systems like Quest and Pico and PlayStation have body tracking built in but i don't think it's something that we're going to see anytime soon no it just doesn't seem like a priority for them and they're, they're focused more on you know delivering the lower cost hardware so uh something like that yeah i can't i can't picture it for a good while yeah hopefully at least in the meantime we get arm tracking as you notice here uh we have hand tracking and it kind of guesses where the arms are as you'll notice in many vr games but if i'm moving my hands there are many different positions where my elbows can go. For example, it's much higher than it's showing on camera, whereas obviously the system has no way of knowing that. And yet, if you look at the raw camera feeds from these headsets, they can see your arm. So we need to go body part by body part, and it's a shame that we're still at head and hands. Yeah, no, completely. Yeah, um, but I reckon in time we'll get there. Just it's not going to be for a good while. Yeah, just having a look at the comment from Artful saying, you know, the, saying that the cameras in the current Quest Pro controllers are not good enough for body tracking, and I very much so agree with that. But I don't think it's anything to do with the quality of the cameras. I think it's, as I've said many times in this show, they're just facing the wrong way. If you're holding the Quest Pro controllers, those cameras are facing upwards and forwards, whereas the demonstration that we saw from uh, researchers that demonstrated the body tracking from controllers is possible had those cameras in the handles if we saw a controller with cameras in the handles i think one of these one of the big companies could conceivably c- deliver full body tracking with that but there are obviously you know uh design issues there there's still going to be a problem in terms of if you would then have to make sure that someone's not holding the controller wrong and not including it uh, there's obviously still the fact that there's still many situations where you're going to be pointing that camera the wrong way. If you're holding a sword and you kind of slash like this, you're going to have to deal with the fact that it's not going to have 100% coverage. But yeah, I think I think uh, we've pretty much covered everything today. This is a very short show as there are only a few topics to discuss and Ian is at GDC. So expect to hear Ian's coverage from GDC in the coming week or two as he tries out a few interesting demos that I don't think I can talk about yet, but he is scheduled to try at GDC. Yeah, we'll look out for his coverage. And um, yeah, well, thank you. Thank you all for tuning in. Thanks so much, everyone. Uh, We'll see you next week.